Hi, gang. Welcome to episode 16 of the No Proscenium podcast, the podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. Uh, Before we get into today's show, which is um, a roundtable with the company known as The Moving Shadow, the creators and executors, I suppose that's one way to say it, of Hamlet Mobile, which was seen at the 2015 Hollywood Fringe Festival. Um, I just wanted to do a, a very brief rundown of some interesting news that popped up this week. It's uh, tangentially related to immersive theater, and in some ways, maybe only really uh, applicable to people who don't listen to this podcast, which is a slightly strange thing to start talking about. But it's it's Dismaland. I wanted to talk to you for a moment about Dismaland. You may not have heard of Dismaland until I've said those words, and upon hearing them, you may wonder, why is this man saying Dismaland? What a strange, strange thing for a grown man to say. Well, Dismaland is the creation we have all been led to believe of the street artist known as Banksy. Banksy has taken over a seaside amusement park in England, an abandoned one, dilapidated one, and turned it into a dismal recreation of Disneyland. He's invited a lot of his artist friends and a whole bunch of really amazing musicians, including Pussy Riot and Massive Attack, are going to participate as well. They're having concerts. There are slides coming out of mock-ups of police vans. There are distorted statues of the Little Mermaid, the actual Disney version. It's like an optical illusion come to life. It might just be the most intentionally sad place on Earth. And I have thoroughly enjoyed watching the internet react today with absolute glee. My favorite thing has been to see all my major Disney fans and the Imagineers, some of whom listen to this podcast, react with pure glee at the idea of Banksy taking on the happiest place on earth. You know, Banksy is probably best known as the impresario and central figure in Exit Through the Gift Shop, a very fantastic documentary film that charts the career of an L.A. artist known as Mr. Brainwash. If by some chance you haven't seen the documentary, I highly encourage you to do so. Before we begin, a couple of quick content advisory notices. First, this was the first podcast episode we recorded with our new microphone. It was also the first time we've had four people around the table at once. And they did get a bit rambunctious. As such, the audio may sometimes distort. This is also an episode of No Persinium that contains explicit language. Very explicit language. If, by some chance, you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast in the car in front of small children, because you enjoy torturing them with esoteric topics, perhaps, 
This is an episode you may wish to listen to at a later time. And now, with that business concluded, I present to you episode 16 with The Moving Shadow. Okay, and, and we're good. All right, this is rolling. This is a, this is a new setup. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, as usual, I don't know why I identify my voice because you just heard my voice. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I probably already told you we got a new mic, so uh, we got a new mic for this one. I, I'm excited uh, because right now uh, I have, uh, in, in, in my very own apartment, I have the, the members of the Moving Shadow uh, via the, the troupe that put on Hamlemobile at this year's uh, Fringe Festival. And uh, the, show, the show just closed, and I, I'm just kind of wondering, uh, well, first let's just have everyone, um, uh, so that the listeners can identify you guys, uh, just kind of move around the table. Hi, I'm Heather Ann. I'm Elizabeth. I'm James. I'm Hunter. Cool. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm kind of wondering, and I know everyone who's seen the show, uh, who's, who's out there, uh, is probably wondering, uh, now that now it's over, uh, what, what are you guys going to do? What's, what's the future for, uh, for the moving shadow, for the crew? Uh, uh, that's a really good question. I feel like we... It's pretty fresh. We just finished. I don't know if we've really had time to plan ahead. Sometimes in the past we've... I mean, in the past we've always just done what Marlon told us to do. And, you know... Uh, for, for the listeners who might um, not know uh, who, who Marlon is, tell them. Uh, Marlon Pine is uh, the director, uh, the creative director and founder, head of the snakes, straw that stirs the drink. Marlon's the father of the company. <laughs> he started it. Uh, all of us were inspired by him to be in the company. Um, he's the one who changed theater for all of us, and I think the one who we carried the torch for, and the one who wrote Hamletmobile. I mean, to answer your question, I think what happens next is a group decision, but I do think we've created something special, a trust between the four of us that we could create something very, uh, at least as, as, cha- as, um, in, impactful as Hamlemobile. I mean, the, the show is seems to be really charged. I mean, I, I, I'm one of those people who goes lucky enough. I, I, I caught all the, the pieces of Hamlemobile, and I, I got to say, sometimes it, it felt a, a little raw, um, and particularly particularly the finale. Uh, there were times I couldn't tell. I, I, I wasn't sure if you guys liked each other. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to stir any any <laughs> trouble, but. Um, it, it seemed that finale seemed kind of intense. I don't know if all of us have gotten along perfectly all the time. I mean, there's different levels of commitment. I think between the four of us, and we've struggled with that. I think to kind of maintain an equilibrium. But like the point is to do the art, and we shouldn't let these, you know feelings of animosity get in our way because it's not about us it's about marlin and it's about hamlemobile and it's more than how we feel in the moment yeah but at the same time i wouldn't say that marlin did the best job setting us up for autonomy you know 
Uh, what do you mean, Hunter? I mean, when's the last time you did something creative that wasn't at the behest of Marlon? Um, I directed the show and Marlon was dead. You did so... So, I don't know what you mean by you, that. But you you did so in an effort to posthumously please Marlon. I think yeah, this is about well, the audience more than it's about Marlon. I think that's what microtheater is. It's about the audience. I mean, not if we're considering, not if the question is what we're going to do next as a company, because we don't know what the fuck to do without the man who ordered us about for the last... There's no reason why we would know what we were going to do next because the person who was the artistic director of the company died suddenly. And there's no reason why he would have set us up to be autonomous since he died suddenly. Look, I think there's going to be some tension in any group. You know, obviously, you can hear there's tension between Hunter and I and some other <laughs> members of this group. And <laughs> But I actually think, and Marlon would say this as well, I mean, through the friction is what sharpens the saw. I mean, that's what gets you... Sorry, that sound is my screen. Do you want to speak to why you're laughing? (laughs) No, you're funny. It's funny. (laughs) Can you talk about anything that really great happened without tension? Without friction? You know, if I... Yeah, I believe Marlon told me one time that through the tectonic friction that occurs amongst a group of creative people, volcanic... (laughs) No, dude, I don't have anything to say about the tension. That's fine. There's no reason why anyone has to get along while they're working together. Right. I mean, I suppose we could ask you also why you would wonder whether or not we were getting along. Or do you feel like that matters? Or did that, is that important to you as an audience member? No Are you not entertained? To know whether or not we're getting along or well, I, what I, our personal relationships are. I, I do, well, it, it's more that you know, stuff seemed to, to bleed through, through, through the work. And there were just, there were just times when I, I honestly couldn't tell if it was, if it was the show or, or if it was if it was you guys. Did it take you out of it? Did you did it impair your enjoyment of the piece because you were wondering is this actor tension or is this character tension? Sometimes I was just kind of like, I guess it took me out of it in the sense of like I was just kind of worried something weird was going to happen. But then I started to wonder if maybe that's the point is to worry about weirdness going to happen. And then it just becomes this like rabbit hole where I'm I'm no longer certain. Uh, you know, is the van real or is it a figment of my own imagination? I mean, uh, metaphorically speaking. Uh, okay, well, I mean, the, the, the argument that you saw when we, when we handled Marlon's ashes was not, I mean, that was not planned. And I think, I'll just speak to it. I mean, I think, not to rehash old wounds, but I mean, Hunter, you haven't been the most committed member of this group. And I think the, the, the audience to this podcast has already heard a little bit of that. That JB, I mean this in the most civil way possible. What do you want to accomplish by being a dick? <laughs> to be honest, I think it's what we're all wondering. Do you think this is like... Is this what listeners want? Right. What do podcast listeners want? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like Where this is listen? new. Like this is so different that? than micro theater. Well, I, I, I mean, I think what's, I think what's 
of interest to the people who have seen the show is is there's this. I mean, great... not even that many people have seen the show. Well, there was, but there was such a demand. I mean, there were so many people who who wanted to see, and so many people excited and and came back around for the bootleg. And I think the reason why I asked is what's the future of the show and and, and of the troupe is that there's this. You guys have stirred these passions, and I, I guess I'm trying to get down to the nut of it and see if, like, if if the stirring of those passions is because of that that friction that exists between between all of you, uh, if that's something that's actually sustainable. I feel like Marlin, all this time, this is part of his grand scheme of things. You know, like he's kind of like kind of like Dumbledore in Harry Potter. You know, where he says something, and he, you know, he's just you just gotta trust in him because. In the end, everything has a meaning, and he is always present. And even though he's not, like, physically present because he died, he really is still dictating our own movements and our, like, abilities as a group. And I still think he wants us to continue personally. I know that's not a popular opinion or whatever, but um, I'll just throw it out there. I, I mean, I agree with her. I think one of the things that microtheater has to its advantage is this level of honesty that you don't get in any other theatrical context. I think that part of the reason Hamlet Mobile was inspiring was to us and to the audiences was that there was a level of what's honest to you right now in the moment and express that to the audience. It's something Marlon talked about. I actually think that could help us as a company and I don't think that we have to... We can create something new even with one of the company members being a sarcastic dick. <laughs> All right, well, before for we, for we run, run down that line again, uh, Heather's point brings up an interesting idea. I mean, could the show have been the show if if Marlon was still alive? I mean, no. and it wasn't even his, maybe this was his plan, to, to, intentionally, to die to create this show. Fuck, man, that's heavy even for Marlon. He lived in this most poetic sense, and I think this is his last gift to the world. Like the little, like the most sublime thing anybody could do. I honestly like I, I agree with Heather too, and uh, I didn't always see eye to eye with Marlon, but I did respect him a lot, and I wanted his respect in turn, and he was pretty stingy with it and I don't mean for my impatience with James being an insufferable sycophant to detract from <laughs> the work we did and did was it all part of Marlon's design I wouldn't be surprised is it is it still working on us maybe will it inform what's next undoubtedly Will we be? Will it be a joint venture, or will we disband? Who knows? I, I probably started us off on the wrong foot by by asking about the future. I, I, I apologize for that. Now it's, I'm, I'm still kind of getting used to this format. Um, so maybe we can focus on the the joys, because I think you guys brought a lot of joy to the Fringe Festival, and and for you, I want to know what what was the joy of the show for you? Maybe maybe, maybe Lizzie, what was? Uh, and and then decide before, while you're thinking about that, just like, did you ever eat any of those ramen noodles? I mean, there, there, so many ramen noodles were made. Yeah, I love ramen noodle. 
So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we could. That could be number one on my list of joys. Um, I like ramen noodle, and I ate a lot of it. Um, also, giving it to people was a joy, especially when they were hungry. Um, you know, I think that um, I like to feel like I know people and know people well. I don't like being around strangers. I don't like being stuck in crowds. And so to feel like you knew each audience member very personally because it was just the two of you or maybe... Maybe there was one audience member, maybe there was two, maybe there was a few, but it's a kind of relationship that is, you know, is totally unique because if you got out of the van and then tried to continue a relationship with that person that you had just been in the van with, it would probably be disappointing and boring or annoying. Um, so I think that's what this show made possible. It was really great. I mean, from like a geeky kind of like up my ass actor standpoint, this was like the first thing that I'd ever been a part of where I because most of the time when I've acted in the past, I kind of have like an idea of the way I want it to go. Like I have expectations about the performance yeah. and I like... It's like I've constructed a roller coaster and now I'd like to ride the roller coaster and I want it to be as exhilarating as I know that it should be. But with Hamlet Mobile, because you're in there with one person, different people consecutively for sustained amounts of time, the it can't be that because there's like there's nothing to hide behind. It's far too intimate. And you know that the audience member is going to smell bullshit like chum in the water. So you kind of had to release your expectation of what the, uh, the whatever piece was being performed on a given evening, what it was going to be. And to be able to have that experience with Shakespeare in particular, I feel like was... Pretty unique and rewarding. Heather, how about you? What was the question again? What What was the joy uh, that you found? In doing, did you find joy in this piece? And, and what, what was what, what did you love about? Oh my gosh, I loved every second of it. I <laughs> wish that it could be, you know, the beginning of June again, and we could just redo those three weeks because they were the most magical of my entire life. And I loved having these intimate experiences with people over and over again, and every single show was different, and, you know, after said 
one performance, you know, the SM would come and let that person out and the next person would come in and it was just great, you know, having a completely different show back to back to back to back and to be able to, because you're, you know, less than three feet away from the the audience member, you can gauge whether or not they enjoyed the show, um, if they were on board, if they understood the, you know, poetry of it, if they were seeing what was presented to them, if they were seeing more than that, and I just loved every second of it, and I am going to sleep in my t-shirt. You know what I really liked, too, was when um, you and your audience member, I mean, I assume this happened to you, too, when, like, something would happen, like, a really loud noise, or some, like, homeless person would scream, or, like, a siren would go by or something, or, right, the cat, the, the... there's a cat story that Heather Ann can tell you about. I, don't, I wouldn't presume. Um, but, and then you would like look at the audience member and you would share this moment of like um, both of you being like, are, are we going to get through this? Are we going to make this show? Are we going to make this show work? Like, are we going <laughs> to, how are we going to deal with this siren, you and me? <laughs> it was just so cute. I I feel I feel the same. I think you know. There's a way you can develop <laughs> trust with someone when you when you admit to something that you're bad at or some fault that you have or an embarrassing story. And it almost felt like that's what happened when you performed in this space. There was no audience space in this play. Most plays, there's an audience and there's always a wall between the performing space and the audience space. And I think the audience feels protected by that wall, and so did the performers. And in the Hamiltonmobile, there was no wall. They were sitting in the set with you. And I had a monologue about all of the relationships that I'd ended. And every time I could hear Marlon's voice before that piece started say to me, good theater begins with total honesty. And I realized I had to strip everything away when they sat in the van with me and look them in the eye and say the most honest thing that I could. And that's how I began each time I did that monologue. And it, it didn't feel good, but I felt close to every one of those audience members in a way that I never have in any other theater experience. That was joy. I, I know you guys have, have a lot of that you need to go and sort out as a group, but I guess I, I want to get a sense, and Lizzie, you made me think of this, about that you, you like to to know someone really well. And so maybe, maybe you know, what did you learn, what did you learn about Hunter? What did you learn about Hunter as, as part of this? Like, like who, who is Hunter? Well, I don't like to say what people are, <laughs> um, but... Sorry, Lizzie, I can take it. <laughs> no, no, not because I think, like, you can't take it, but just because how would I know? Um, but I can't say... What I think I learned about him doing the show was... I always mm, that 
he can be very um, self-protective and vain and then very honest and vulnerable at the same time. This is something I have not encountered in the past. So... Heather, if, if Marlon was here and it, had gotten a chance to see the show, what, what would he tell James about his performance? Oh, he would tell... He would tell James to stop buttering everything up and stop making it sound like it's, you know, everything is poetry and everything is wonderful because it's not. Um, and he would, you know, be direct and would, you know, say that it's okay to be upset and say that it's okay for there to be dirt on something and say that beauty exists in lack of it. Hmm. Does that, does that sound authentic to you, James? Does that sound like Marlon, or, or does it sound like Heather's just making that up? <clears throat> that sounds like Marlon. I didn't know I was doing that. I just try to hold... I mean, when you're touched by someone that changes your life, I don't know how many people out there have that experience, but we probably all have at least one person. It's hard not to want to honor them as much as you can. And that maybe ends up being too idealistic or something. And you, But Marlon is very much about imperfection and, and dirt and the kind of, I mean, Heather had said, I mean, the sort of magic and imperfection. I think that's part of his belief in honesty. Wouldn't you agree, Heather Hed? Yeah. And I think that's what microtheater is all about in a sense is the sense of honesty. In the spirit of honesty, uh, Hunter, uh, what what flaws did you see in Heather Ann's work? I don't see why he should be answering that question. Well, it's not like I'm gonna like fucking rip her shreds or anything. No, I was gonna <laughs> well, why say. Why should we go around in a circle and tell someone that we barely know what we think are the flaws in each other's work? Because Marlon would love that. Well, he doesn't barely know her. Well, Marlon's dead. Don't be so protective, Lizzie. It wasn't an issue when you had to, like, tell the world who I am. It's fine. She's fine. No, I would... You know what? I'm not I, protecting her. I think that's a Marlin, stupid exercise. I think Marlon is here right now, and he is embracing us. So she's and down. he would love to know what you think of me. <clears throat> uh, I think that... I think we all probably get a little bit right of what Marlon thinks it's all about. I think that there are bits and pieces in the four of us and our work that show glimmers of what Marlon thinks it's all about. Just say what you think about her. Why are you encouraging that? Who are we doing this for? For Marlon. We're doing... No, we're not doing it for Marlon. We're doing it for this like microphone and whoever feels like listening to this podcast. It's this not going to ruin her to hear what Hunter thinks about I don't her. see why you guys If Marlon was here, he would be fine with this. Why are you so upset about this? Marlin I'm not here. talking about what Marlon would think. Well, I'm we talking about what I think, which is that this is... Just 
Don't butter it up, Hunter. Just answer the question and say what she you think about her up. performance. It's fine. She just needs like 10 years. It's fine. She'll be great. She'll I, be great. I cannot believe how much you guys are refusing Look, part to of the listen reason this to theater the company, words that are coming out of my mouth. You think I'm Part lying? of the reason this theater company is great is because we don't have over, we're not overly sensitive. We're able to so we're we able to let go of that. sensitivity. We can talk about that when we're together. I don't mind if I, we Fair can enough. talk about whatever you want when it's the four of us. I don't see why we're doing this here just because somebody asked. We are perf- we are giving an audience 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 answers. I mean, this no every day. Know, I'm just expressing how I feel. Like, did you not feel totally honest in the van? Yes, I do. What does that have? What what? That's to, that's being honest to strangers. Babe, what does Heather think? You know, um, did you say babe? Yeah, I don't know what. You know what? It's okay that you think I need to grow up ten years. I know that's because you, you know, just want to wait till I'm, you know, more fully grown so you can that's... sleep with me because you slept with everyone else in the company. <laughs> Jesus just Christ! That. Who are you talking to? Me? No, it's not she's you. Talking to me. She's talking to me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you were. T- I thought you were just. Saying that I think you need to grow up ten years for some reason. No, no, no. I think you can Those handle were yourself. Those first words. I just and I, I, I can take it. See, obviously, I'm not I'm worried about enough. I just, know you can just take to be it. Sure. I know you can no, take whatever you, you need to take. You asked me. It's not about that. You asked me what I thought he Marlon you, would say about. No, he didn't. He asked you what you saw as the flaws in Heather Ann's I'm pretty acting. Sure he, I'm pretty sure he didn't ask you anything, so... He's asked me a few things, but no, he asked you that. And I'm just saying that if you want to answer it, you can. I but I just think it's a stupid idea. He did, he answered it. It's Noted. okay. Noted. And, and you have been very loudly and clearly acknowledged. Elizabeth, no one respects you in this company more than I do. I understand that you disagreed with what he had to say, but I, don't I think Heather Ann's okay. Oh my god, I'm not talking about protecting Heather Ann's feelings. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the dignity of the group. And do we want to let someone that we know... I mean, I, I'm not talking about you as a person, Noah. I'm talking about just the question you asked. Hmm. Just because someone asks you a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. So do we want to be in a position where if anyone that we barely know asks us a question about, you know, asks us to point out each other's flaws, should we just do that because that person asked? Why not? Boom! (laughs) Okay, I mean, well, okay, if you guys really, really, really want to talk about that, I, I... Obviously, you can't. We, we, we don't want to talk in about public. it. In public. We don't want to, to talk about it. people that we have no idea who's listening. Elizabeth, it felt appropriate to me, actually. I think if okay. Marlon was here, he would have thought. And it took me all said, of. This and is it, an exercise we need to do. I agree. And it took me all of three okay. seconds to offer my opinion. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Whatever your next question is. Um, you have permission to continue now. I just think <laughs> we can proceed with the interview. I'm not trying to shortchange. No, no, I, I, I was gonna. Sorry, Hunter. Uh, I was gonna throw something similar to you, James, for Save Lizzie, but I, I feel at this point I may have done, I may have done more damage with this than uh, than well, I. Well, now that you're asking him about me, now of course I'm curious and want to know. Uh, okay. Uh, well. But you don't have to. <laughs> James, um, uh, what, 
um, what would you say was uh, Lizzie's uh, 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 most shining quality there? My jewelry. No. <laughs> um, Lizzie has, I hate to admit this, but she has more wisdom than anyone in this group. She doesn't express it all the time. She's actually very quiet. That's why the last five minutes have been surprising. Um... I, you know, I'd be lying if I said the. I mean, the person I trusted the most in this group is Lizzie. She. She can tell me when I'm off base, and she's almost always right. At that point, I chose to end the recording, lest there was any more damage done to the troop. Uh, for all you fans of Hamlet Mobile out there, I apologize if this has any lasting negative repercussions. Um, yeah, if by some chance you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at No Persinium. Uh, you may reach us by email at uh, no underscore persinium at outlook.com. And I hope that you will join us for our next episode episode 17 with capital W, the creators of Hamlet Mobile. Wait, that can't be right. Is that? How's that right?